Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. It's time to roll your sleeves up and get your hands dirty with Friends of the Earth. Dirt Radio. Good morning, it is Dirt Radio. We are Friends of the Earth, Melbourne. Check us out at foe.org.au. Thanks to Yarrabug, as always. And uh, 2017, have I actually said 2017? Good grief. Um, It's our first show of the year, and we're going to look a little bit backwards, and we're going to reflect on what's gone before. And of course, we're going to look forward to the year ahead. Ursula Alchieri is doing just that. She's a key organizer with Lock the Gate Victoria. And they've been working long and hard on a network, uh, with a network of community groups all across Victoria, fighting to protect the state's water, farmland, and environment from coal and onshore gas mining. Ursula, good morning. Good morning, John. How are you this morning? I'm very good, thank you. Good. The weather good down there? It's heating up fast. <laughs> yeah, you're in, you're in East Gippsland, right? Uh, West Gippsland. West, West Gippsland, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> now, let's. we're going to talk a little bit about uh, what's gone on last year with the ban on onshore gas. And let's backtrack a little bit. There was a total ban that was put on onshore gas in Victoria, onshore gas mining in Victoria, was declared by the Andrews government. Briefly, give us the details on that ban and what does it actually mean? Sure. Um, Well, look, after a very long um, and at times very challenging and difficult five-year campaign, the Andrews government announced they would put in place a permanent ban on all onshore unconventional gas mining and fracking on the 30th of August last year. Um, And they also extended the current moratorium uh, until at least mid-2020 on all onshore conventional gas mining. Um, So it's not quite a permanent ban on all onshore gas mining, but the unconventional gas licences in Victoria um, that obviously are still currently in place... um, this would make up over 90% of that area, which is um, well over 1.4 million hectares of um, land in both Western Victoria and Gippsland. Okay, so just to get it clear, there's there's two things that are going on. There's the uh, moratorium on... Uh, to get, say it again, moratorium... Mor- the moratorium has been extended until 2020 on onshore conventional... Onshore mining. conventional gas, yes. Gas mining, and um, they will um, put in place a permanent ban on all onshore unconventional gas mining and fracking. So that that's very important too because um, conventional onshore gas mining can often sound um, quite nice, but they still use a lot of unconventional processes, including fracking, so they won't be allowed to use fracking in any way, shape, or form in Victoria. Now, in terms of legislation, this is really, I think, the critical thing. Where are we up to in terms of Parliament? Because Parliament's starting in the next couple of weeks. Yes, yeah. So um, they they were quite keen to get it through 
late last year, but uh, it, it, there was a little bit of a bottleneck situation, so uh, it didn't get through. But it was tabled in the lower house. So um, we expect that to be um, uh, at the top of the list of priorities for the Andrews government when, when, they, um, when Parliament sits again. Um, so I think we will see um, it, it go through um, all the loose ends being tied up um, uh, pretty early on this year. And uh, the Andrews government do have the numbers uh, because they have the support of the Greens, uh, the Sex Party, Fishers and Shooters Party uh, and Independent James Purcell. So they do have the numbers for it to go through, which is fantastic. Um, I suppose um, the, the big question on the lips of a lot of rural people is still what are the nationals going to do? <laughs> How are they going to vote? Yes, that look, that was actually my one of the questions I was going to ask. And so in terms of lower house, upper house, mm-hmm. the numbers are there in the lower house as well as in the upper house. Is that Correct. right? Okay. Correct. Now <laughs> we'll get okay. So so it looks like it might go through. The nationals it are does. the are the puzzle. Now what's mm-hmm. what's happening with them? And uh the assumption would be they're the party for regional people, for farmers but they haven't come out directly and said, look, we're going to support this. Yeah, look, it, it, it is really puzzling. Um, I think the um, the feeling amongst the rural communities and farmers that, that, I, that I work with, that I'm speaking with, um, really is that um, the nationals have totally dropped the ball on this particular issue. Um, they have, um, at times... Um, when it suited them, shown lukewarm support. Um, but really, for a party that, as you said, is meant to be uh, in it to support and represent um, farming communities, uh, they really should have been at the forefront of this, and, and they most definitely have not been. And so now we're in a position where um, the Labor government has have stepped up and listened to those rural communities, mm. um, and the Nationals are essentially still fence-sitting. Um, they're making claims that this permanent ban is not much different to the moratorium that the Coalition put in place um, uh, under the previous state government. Um, obviously, it's very different to a moratorium. A moratorium is, is a very mm. temporary thing mm. um, and a permanent ban. And, and also the um, uh, the... What this permanent ban means in terms of giving those farming communities certainty to move forward, um, a moratorium cannot offer that. So, um, yeah, look, you would think they would have come out by this point and said, yes, we will support this, we'll put aside politics for a moment and we will support this, this bill putting, being put forward by Labor. Um, but uh, they haven't done that. So it, it, it is, it's very... Con- confusing, um, mm. but uh, there's a lot of frustration and a lot of anger, and I've had um, many, many farmers say to me that um, a party that they have really voted for, mm. uh, you know, since the, the Nationals came into existence, they won't be voting for it in the next election. They're, they're, they're re- it's really forcing rural people to reassess um, what their options are when they go um, to the polling booth. Yeah, look, it's interesting that you're saying this because it's it's clearly uh, I'm thinking of generations in, in a sense that have voted for the nationals, and uh, this mm-hmm. is this is a real generational change thing that's that's going on. The other thing that uh, something that you've pointed out and you've sent a, sent some information around that is that the the 
um, gas lobby is putting out a lot of misinformation about this ban, and this they're circulating this very widely. What's this? What's going on here? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, just really the last month, uh, the gloves. It feels like the gloves are coming off a little bit, um, and it's not entirely surprising. Um, communities have won. People power have won here in Victoria. Um, the fossil fuel lobby don't don't like not getting their own way. They're very used to getting their own way. They're used to um, riding over the top of communities. Um, so this is, a, I suppose, a very unusual position for them to be in. Um, and, yeah, there's, there's a lot of misinformation being spread. Um, unfortunately, it's being also spread by the federal government. <laughs> and, mm. and that is that if, um, if states... Um, like Victoria, if states with bans and moratoriums in place don't lift them and essentially open up our most productive um, farmland to um, onshore unconventional gas mining, uh, that uh, there will be a, gra- a gas shortage, a gas crisis, and that um, gas prices will continue to rise. Now, they fail to mention is... Um, you know, we, we actually don't have a gas shortage in, in Victoria. Um, we've got plenty of gas. Um, mm. The problem is that since um, Australia has been linked to the global market via uh, exporting our gas, um, and, and that's where most of the gas being extracted um, uh, in Colton gas fields in Queensland is going abroad, um, that is placing pressure on demand, but it's also driving the price up. So instead of paying what we have in the past, a relatively cheap price for for gas, um, we're now um, being linked to that international price. So they've created this, yes. <laughs> um, and yet they have the audacity to to blame um, uh, rural communities and, mm-hmm. um, again, failing to see the importance of food and water security uh, and failing to understand that, um, you know, for example, there has been um, a study that came out um, uh, over a year now ago um, by the Energy Institute from Melbourne University that clearly shows that um, gas usage in Victoria is dropping um, greatly and quickly. Mm. So there's a lot of factors, but um, Mm. scaremongering and basically saying that if we don't start drilling every last inch of our Mm. land in Victoria, we'll have a gas shortage is just pure life. Yeah, look, I, I have been following the, uh, this a little bit as well, and uh, certainly all the factors that you've mentioned are part of the equation. And again, something that I think that's really, really important, and I think re- resonates, probably should resonate with people in the city, is the question of, uh, of food and water security. And I think, at least from my point of view of climate is change climate is changing so much that is going to be really really critical. So look, what I want to finish with is us folks in the city. How can we mobilize to support you and support your organization and 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 your campaign to get the parliamentarians on board? Yeah, look, I mean, I, I think um, there's a lot of pressure coming from Gippsland and Western Victoria. Um, targeting the Nationals and the leader of the, the Victorian Nationals, Peter Walsh, and, and um, also some of the other um, uh, Nationals that are in electorates where communities have declared gas field free. Um, but um, from a city point of view, you know, we, we need that metro- metropolitan voice in the mix as well. And so um, 
emailing, writing, calling <clears throat> Matthew Guy, asking him where the Liberals are going to sit on this. Will they support the bill? But also putting some pressure on the Nationals would be very helpful. If you go to our website, coalandgasfreevic.org, uh, the last post that went up um, uh, has all those details and um, what we need to be asking them and how we need to be um, making it very clear that Victorians um, in both the country and the city um, do support this ban and, mm. and we want to see it happen. And um, and if, if if the Liberals and the Nationals are, are going to choose to side with um, the big mining lobby over people, um, then I think it's pretty clear that... Um, uh, they're, they're no longer listening to their constituents. So that would be really helpful. But also whenever um, the opportunity arises in terms of the lies being spread currently by the gas um, lobby, have an opinion, <laughs> have an mm. educated opinion. And um, uh, I suppose don't don't let these lies just slide on by um, because... It's quite remarkable, John, that they're essentially using the same arguments they were using four years ago. Mm, um, mm. And the evidence um, is even greater now yes. that, that these, these arguments um, just don't add up. So um, that would be wonderful. But if you if you jump onto our website, um, there's a few little things on there, yep. tasks that everybody can do sure. um, that will really, really um, support us. Okay, well, look, we will put the information on the Dirt Radio webpage, website page as well, the 3CR Dirt Radio page. Ursula, thanks very much for being with us this morning, and uh, all the best with your uh, campaign. It's a pleasure, John. Thank you so much. Ursula Alchieri, and uh, she is Friends of the Earth campaign coordinator and Lock the Gate Victorian coordinator, and we're Dirt Radio. Join 3CR for our Invasion Day broadcast on January 26th. Tune into 3CR between 11am and 4pm for our Treaty Now special broadcasts. Always was, always will be. Aboriginal land and Aboriginal law. Dirt Radio is where we are. I'm John Langer, and this is our first show of the year. So we wanted to make sure that we had pretty comprehensive coverage and a pretty pretty comprehensive overview. So let's move from the local to the global. Friends of the Earth International held its biennial general meeting in early December last year. The meeting took place in Indonesia and this was a truly global event. Maddie Egan from Friends of the Earth Melbourne was there as one of the delegates, and she's here this morning. Good morning, Maddie. Good morning, John. Now, I have to confess, I knew almost nothing or nothing about these Friends of the Earth International Biennial Meetings, so tell us what they're about and what happens. Well, I mean, I also was astounded at the scale of the Federation, um, which encompasses more than 70 countries. So this is 70 countries with Friends of the Earth groups like in Australia, many of them much larger than in Australia. You know, some groups like South Korea have 
you know, dozens of staff and and lots of local offices throughout the country, including Indonesia, which has just an astounding number, something like 200 local groups throughout the archipelago. Um, so it was incredible to get together with delegates from all of these countries and hear about some of the work, the amazing grassroots work that they're up to. And what are the countries there? So you mentioned Indonesia, Korea, and uh, where where else? Well, can you can you remember? Do you want to name a country? <laughs> well, so they're from every, really everywhere. Really everywhere, and um, the way Amazing. that the federation works is that um, we work in regions. So Australia is part of the Asia Pacific region, and some of the countries um, that were represented there included Indonesia, the Philippines, South Korea, Japan. Papua New Guinea, right. this goes on. Yes, yes, absolutely amazing. Now, you were involved yourself in something, again, which I knew really nothing about called the School of Sustainability. Tell us uh, what that's about and, and what your role was. Well, the School of Sustainability was started a few years back by the Latin American group. And the idea is that it gives a chance for younger members or newer members of the regional groups or the country groups to meet each other, you know, to network with people who one day they might work with on on global or cross-country issues, and also to improve their skills in various areas like campaigning or um, media strategy. This was the very first School of Sustainability for the Asia-Pacific region, and there are about 15 delegates um, with a whole range of skills and a whole range of issues that they were campaigning on. But one of the best things about that forum and that group is that, you know, the people who are working on deforestation issues can meet each other and also meet people from countries where the forests being cut down in their own country might be being sent and sort of create links that over time might allow them to work on global campaigns. Mm. And I'm thinking uh, now this, look, this is a very naive question, but given all the different countries, all the different languages, did all the things that were happening happen in English? No, not everything. Friends of the Earth International works with three languages, so English, Spanish and French. Uh, there's a strong European skew, as you yes, can yes, tell, which yes, you yes. know over time might be something that changes. I definitely hope that that's the case. Um, in the meantime, there were um, interpreters interpreting from each of those languages into each of those languages. And tell tell us uh, what what was your role when you were part of the going to the School of Sustainability? What just give us a little brief idea of. What you were doing, were you just sitting there listening? Were you involved in things? How did it work? Well, the school works with a philosophy called head, heart and hands. So that's the idea that in order to truly learn something, we need to be thinking, feeling and doing. So the facilitator, Nicola Paris, for those sessions really tried to adopt that philosophy. So for some of the time we were learning about strategy in quite a didactic way then we would try to apply it try to you know think about how this is going to work in our own campaigns and then we also did um quite a lot of sharing so that we could i guess feel Mm, (laughs) with our hearts yes what what it's like for the other people Mm -hmm. in, in our region what kind of struggles are they facing um and what are their um, approaches to to creating change. So this was a group. Uh, just again trying to get the picture. 
there were 15 of you together for two or three days. Is that right? Yeah, and it wasn't so long it's enough. Quite a, yeah, mm-hmm. not long enough. But you made some really interesting co- contacts. And in terms of uh, struggles, and this is you know something that, that all of us are familiar with, what, what were some of the things that were coming out? I mean, it's obviously very hard. We, we haven't got a, a huge amount of time. But, like, wh- what would you say was a, was a dominant thing that was coming out of, out of that discussion in terms of struggles? Are each, does each country have its own sort of way of thinking about stuff? Well, I mean, there is a lot of, of shared understanding throughout the Friends of the Earth network. You know, I guess there's a shared approach to social change that is is really about justice yes um so in that sense you know there's a lot of common ground what was noticeable i suppose was the different um political and civil society environments that people are trying to work in Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. even though you know two countries australia and the philippines for example might have deforestation issues um in australia we have various legal avenues and, I guess, civil society avenues that we can use to try and create change um, and to protect forests and protect the people who rely on the forests. Um, In the Philippines at the moment, there are very serious human rights abuses. um, So the work that people do is shaped by that. You know, people have to be safe when they're going about their work. Um, So it was really interesting just to hear the different kinds of ways that people work for social justice, work for environmental change, when they might not have a full suite of democratic rights. Yes, and this is this sort of brings up to, brings to mind the 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 um, I guess you could call them assassinations of environment workers in various countries over the years. Very recently in in Central America, but it's it's it is I'm familiar with some things that have happened in Thailand. Um, so these are very different sorts of environments than Australia, and I guess that would be very revealing for for you coming coming there and listening to these campaigners. Yeah, it's it's devastating to hear um, from people who you know whose friends have been victims of of these um, assassinations, and I guess it really underscores how important the work is. Um, you know, and it, it, it's a chance to reflect on why you personally do that work and, and mm. what it's worth, what it means to you. Now, all of that sounds like a bit of a highlight, but I wanted to ask you what in terms of your your time there, what what would you say was a highlight of of, of the uh, of your delegate 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 uh, participation? <laughs> too many. <laughs> Way too many. <laughs> Way too many. Okay, well, we'll have to have you on for another show then. <laughs> so you can tell us. I, w- I will mention one moment, um, which was during a, a sort of an official reception from the local government in Lampung province where the um, meeting was held. Um, there was a, a local Indonesian country and Western band playing some fantastic music, including music in Spanish from South America. And we had, you know, a hundred delegates from 70 something countries dancing wildly to this music. Oh, wow. Excellent. How amazing. Now, the other thing I wanted to ask, and this is a a logical extension of what you've been talking about, what's the follow-up? Do you you yourself uh, keep the contacts and do you do more work in this area? 
Well, Chloe Aldenhoven remains a, um, a, I guess, a, a delegate to some of the regional groups um, or committees within the Federation um, and also on the membership development team. Um, so I guess Australia's voice mm. is heard through her involvement. Um, we also have the regional Australia Pacific group um, and we're working especially with um, some of the people who were part of the School of Sustainability on kind of improving our communication and sharing of the campaigns that we're running. Um, so we're working on a website mm. and on expanding the newsletter that's been running for a couple of years now. Sounds all uh, amazing and fantastic and a, a really, really interesting and important experience that you've had and a lot of learning as well. Just finally, what country is the next biennial uh, general meeting happening? The next one, which I guess will be happening in 2018, um, is in Nigeria, so in Lagos. Okay, well, we'll we'll look forward to your report from there, perhaps. (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) Thanks so much for being with us, Maddie. And uh, talking there with Maddie Egan from Melbourne, and she was one of the delegates at the FO International Biennial General Meeting held, as she said, in Indonesia. We've got to get out of here. It's Dirt Radio. We're Friends of the Earth, and we'll be back next week.